0: Good morning. That was not the warmest welcome I've ever had in my life. Good morning. morning. That's much better. Well done. Well done. Okay. Um, We're going to get interactive this morning right from the start just to warn you. So those of you who hate that, this is the moment to look away, but don't check your phones for reasons that you will regret later if you do. Um, So I need a couple of volunteers to help illustrate what it is that we're talking about in this teaching series. We're coming to the end of this bit of it, but we're going to pick it up later in the year. So um, who'd like to be Jesus this morning? Um, Come on out, Veronica. Veronica's going to be Jesus. Who'd like to be the Holy Spirit? So everyone's going to be like, well, where's this going? Oh, no. Come on, otherwise I'll pick on someone. So it's really simple. Hey, come on out, Mel. Okay, so. Veronica, you're Jesus. Uh, good. Actually, I think we picked well. Okay, so. so um, <coughs> In a minute, I'll need one more person. So if you were wishing you'd put your hand up, your moment's coming. Okay, it's really simple. What I want you to do is I want you to model for us how it is that Jesus... Uh, Paved the way for us to become truly newly human simply by walking to the end of the aisle and stopping. Dead easy, okay? Now remember, Jesus uh, comes as a human. So God is born into human history. He incarnates himself. That means to put on flesh. And so he chooses to live within the limits of the human experience. He cannot lead us out of uh, slavery to sin and death unless he is fully, truly human. He does everything he does in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, He doesn't do it in his own kind of super, nearly kind of God strength. He does it as a truly new human being, perfectly dependent on the Holy Spirit. So you can't as Jesus get to the end without the Holy Spirit okay so if you walk down Mel you basically need to follow her as the Holy Spirit got it this is going somewhere before you're thinking it sounds a bit like Blue Peter yeah just walk naturally just take a stroll okay she's gonna go okay I should have picked someone else okay right um now um great so so Jesus is making his way through life paving the way and he says to us follow me I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. We've looked at that, haven't we, over the last few weeks. The call is to become an apprentice, a Talmudim of Jesus, to learn how to live like he lived, to do the things he did, to follow him. Okay, so, so Jesus, if you could just stay there, that would be great. In a minute, Holy Spirit, we're going to need you. Who would like to be my model apprentice this morning? Nat, come on out. Nat. Nat. Nat is part of our youth. He's also on our church council representing them. He's amazing. Right, Nat, you're... Uh, yeah, actually, this is a good example because you are serious about following Jesus. Okay, so, so there's Jesus. Wave to Jesus. Oh, yeah. Now, Jesus says, Jesus says to you, follow me, okay? Yeah. Now, what often happens is two things, right, at this point. If we're serious about the Christian life, is we think, yes. And because we look at it and we go, well, it can't be that hard. I mean, I've just got to walk the same way that... Jesus walked, maybe with less of a sort of diversion. And uh, that's fine. Um, The the other thing we can do, so we we think it's really easy. It is, sort of, but kind of not. It's simple, but not easy. The other temptation is to think we do it on our own strength. Actually, what we know is that Jesus says, follow me, but he sends the Spirit to help us, right? Pentecost. So he does everything in the power of the Spirit, and then he says to us, I want you to live the way I lived, but you can't do it on your own. So before you have a crack at it, wait for the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come back. Spirit, come back. Spirit, come down. Break our walls down. Yada, yada. Okay, so here we go. Now, in theory now, it's quite simple. It's You don't have have to carry him. So uh, you've got to follow Jesus the way that Jesus went. He set the example, no you don't need to do that, and the Spirit's going to help you. Okay, except that in reality, it's not that simple. Is it? Have you noticed that following Jesus is actually, whilst simple, very hard? Hello? Okay, it's hard for all sorts of reasons. First of all, we will find that our journey of faith uh, faces obstacles. Life throws stuff at you that makes following Jesus really hard, okay? But also, there is spiritual opposition to you following Jesus, okay? So, those of you in this, those of you in sort of this half of the middle aisles, I want, when when Nat tries to walk down, helped by the Holy Spirit, I want you to get out of your pews and I want you to get in his way, okay? (laughs) I want you to be an obstacle, and I want you to be opposition to him. So some of you who are like, yeah, I'm going to be opposition, you can get, And some of you can just do that, all right? But the point is, you make it as hard as possible. Okay. Um, the other thing that makes it really hard, and maybe it's just me, but I find, when I'm trying to follow Jesus, that there are intimidating voices... There are lies I believe. There are things that I hear that are shouted at me by my culture, by my background, by the spiritual opposition that is real. And so, those of you on the second, the the outer halves of the middle, your job this morning is just to shout. Okay, now don't, if you get into it too much, I'm, we've got cameras, we know, and, all right, so um, we'll have to give you some extra prayer. But just imagine for a moment that you represent all the opposition. So it's, you know, it's lies, it's things that aren't true, you're not able, you're not worthy, all of those things that I hear in my head all the time, and I'm sure you do, in fact, I know you do, because I'm your pastor and I spend enough time with you. Okay, so um, <clears throat> now the outer aisles. Okay, you're not just watching. So this, let's have a look. This side, you are the great cloud of witnesses that i uh, talked about in Hebrews, the people who've gone before us, who now cheer us on from the heavenly realms. So your job is to jump to your feet and make as much noise going, go Nat, go Nat, you can do it. And you guys are the heavenly hosts. Okay, um, who join with that cloud of witnesses worshipping but championing and they're the ones that are waiting and cheering us on and when we get to glory will give us the most almighty welcome, alright so everyone's in this and you have to try and get in there. That's your job, okay? So are you up for this? Because if you're not, it's basically like a bomb of a sermon. All right, so you all need to jump on your feet. Do you know your roles? Okay, make it as hard as possible, okay? Lots of noise, lots of cheering, lots of singing. Okay, off you go, help him, Holy Spirit. Rob, 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 Rob. A bit too much, a bit too much. Okay, as always, someone takes it too seriously. Keep going, make room. Right. Let him through. Keep cheering him, keep cheering him. I can't hear any angels. Where are the angels? Right, yes! Well done. You can take a seat, everybody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And so, Paul says run the race marked out for you with perseverance. Okay? You will face many trials in this life. You will be hard pressed on every side. You will face opposition. You will face suffering. Someone will take you out, literally. I might have known it would be Rob. Okay? (laughs) Fix your eyes on Jesus. We run for him and we get to the end and we might limp across the line but when we do there's a crown of glory waiting for us. That's what we're talking about here. This this practicing the way of Jesus it's hard. You can't do it on your own. You need the help of the Holy Spirit and you need the help of those people around you that we call community, we call family and we have to practice the way Because otherwise, what will happen is we'll just give up. There's one obstacle too many, one bit of opposition too many. We get tired, we get weary, we lose our bearings, and we just think, is it really worth it? And the answer is, yes, it is. It's the only thing that's really worth doing in this life, but it's going to cost you. Do you get the point? Is that the most powerful analogy you've ever had uh, in church? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good, thank you everybody, that was fun. Right, Uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to focus in on one of the things that kind of was represented by the obstacles and the opposition and the distraction that you guys so brilliantly uh, brought to life for us, and that is busyness. Our busyness, individually, corporately, as a culture, repeatedly derails and sabotages our attempts to practice the way of Jesus. Um, there's a great story that a guy called John Ortberg tells. And John Ortberg is a pastor in America, he's a writer, some of you will have heard of him, read his books. Amazing guy, phenomenal Bible teacher, leads one of, leads a number of great, has led a number of great churches. And he tells a story in one of his books, about 10 years ago, he he realized he was stressed, um, he was anxious, um, he couldn't really cope with all the expectations on him, the pressures, and so he went uh, to see his spiritual mentor, his spiritual director, a guy called Dallas Willard, who we've been quoting a lot, haven't we, over the last few weeks. He is the master of all of this stuff. And John Oetberg tells this story of how he goes to see Dallas Willard and says to Dallas, look, here's the reality of my life, here's the situation I'm in, tell me what I need to do. So he has his pen and paper out, and he recounts the story, he says Dallas Willard looked at him with these piercing eyes and said to him, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life we'll come back to that i don't think there's a slide so john ruckberg's like amazing like writes it down you know that's a tweet right there isn't it what's next you know what else and dallas just looked at him and said there isn't anything else Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. My guess is that it's gone quiet because we know that that's true for us. And there's all sorts of things that we face, don't we? as challenges to our spiritual formation, to our life of faith, to just doing life at all, really, frankly. These aren't things that are unique to those people that call themselves followers of Jesus. This is just the reality of 21st century life. And often when the people are surveyed as to what they think is the greatest threat to Christianity in the 21st century, they say things like secularism, uh, consumerism, ISIS, uh, internet pornography, all of these things. But actually, Dallas Willard would say, it's hurry, it's busyness, it's overload. We live in an age of hurry and speed and distraction, and it comes at the expense of following Jesus. And so I'm finishing this little series for now here because everything we've looked at so far over the last four weeks is all wonderful, right? And it's great that you guys have enjoyed it and found it helpful. I've had so much feedback. It's great to know it's helpful. But here's the bottom line. Unless we deal with this issue, that will just be more frustrating than anything else. So we're going to look at how and why in a moment. But Jesus invites us to the unhurried life. He invites us to the unhurried life. We've talked just now about the spiritual opposition that we face. And, and I believe in that here. But, you know, I don't think often the devil's experienced in, like, some crazy cartoon character-like representation, you know, a little man in red tights with a pitchfork hiding behind every pillar, hiding behind every moment that goes wrong in your life, going, like, like, I think actually often I experience him in the... In the little dopamine rush I get when I check my phone. Or the temptation just to speed up when I see the lights go orange. Or, or to just stay at my desk a little longer than I really should have done. Or to ignore some of the things that I'm, paying attention to, I'm noticing about myself but I haven't got time to deal with. One guy who looked at this is a guy called Michael Zigarelli. Uh, And he, uh, my slides are all in the wrong order, I don't know why, Um, so we'll sort that out. Um, He he looked at um, this whole issue, and he's a professor of Christian sociology in America. And he he talks about this idea of a vicious cycle for us as followers of Jesus in this whole thing, prompted by cultural conformity. Here's what he says, it may be the case that um, Christians... Actually, there's a bit that comes before this. Let me read the whole thing. The accelerated pace and activity level of the modern day distracts us from God and separates us from the abundant, joyful, victorious life he desires for us. It may be the case that, one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, two, God becoming more marginalised in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Does that sound familiar? And we talked, didn't we, about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It rings true. Now, apparently, church leaders are some of the worst offenders of this, up there with doctors and lawyers. I mean, not me, of course. You know, I'm... If only. Our world has sped up to a frenetic pace. And it is hostile to you and me following Jesus. Ronald Rolheiser. we've talked about him a bit before, he says this, uh, today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness Distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. We are simply too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually mature lives. And so if you want to be the kind of person that this series has really painted a picture of, someone who practices the way of Jesus and becomes all that We're called to be, you have got to deal with this in your life. And thankfully, we can work on it together. So two questions this raises for me. Number one, how on earth did we get here as a culture? And what's the solution? Okay, so let me um, nerd out on you slightly for a few minutes with a history lesson to answer the first question. Okay, how did we get here? Two things happened over the last 800 years, roughly. Okay, don't worry, we're not going to do decade by decade. (coughs) The first thing that happened is that humans started to track time. So uh, ironically, the clock was actually invented by monks to help them order and organise life in the monastery around what they call fixed hour prayer. So praying at 7, 11, 3, and 8, whatever it is. And so the idea of the clock was that it would ring when it was time to gather for prayer so that the monks didn't need to think about time. They didn't need to keep checking. Hang, Hang on, because they had no reference point. They just all got on with their day and waited for the ding. And then they gathered. And initially, that was the experience, okay? But that set in motion a whole load of unexpected circumstances or consequences. Um, most historians who look at this will say that 1370 was a point where human history changed forever. And if you, uh, anyone know what happened in 1370? If you know this, like, I will, I don't know what I'll do, I'll buy you a clock. Um, The first public clock was put up in a tower in the market square in Cologne in Germany. And it began to be used to organize people and, and their shape of work, their patterns of work. So people used to have to kind of watch this clock and live by it. And historians say that marked a shift in our relationship with time. Prior to that, time was natural. It was set by the rotation of the earth on its axis. You know, 365 days in a year, four seasons, the sun goes up, the sun goes down, and we live within the natural rhythms of God's creation when it comes to time. But what the clock did was in effect create an artificial relationship with time. Suddenly we can measure time And suddenly we can measure how other people use time and we can use it to control other people. So the 925 kicked in. Not in that form, but a version of it right back then. Fast forward to 1879, Thomas Edison invents the light bulb. And the effect of this, more than anything, was to cut our sleep right down. So get this, right? I was reading about this this week. Fascinating. 150 years ago... In this country, we slept, on average, 11 hours a night. Everyone's like, really? Oh, could you imagine? Now, it's about five and a half, on average. Why? Because we have light and clocks. And so we push past the natural rhythms that time and space gave us in God's original intention. And so, of course, you know, in the olden days, the, the, you had a candle, maybe. There wasn't much to do. There wasn't anything on TV, because there wasn't a TV. And you just went to bed and slept. And you woke up with the dawn and you went down at dusk and everybody slept more and probably was better for it. There were other challenges, of course. Now, about a century ago, uh, technological development accelerated in a massive way, triggered by the the Industrial Revolution, which initially was for industry, but that had an effect on all of society. And what we ended up with is what we would call time-saving devices. Technology began to be applied to everyday ordinary life. And I'm thankful for this, okay? So now when I go home, if the house is cold, I just turn a little thing in our hallway and ding, the boiler comes on, and magically these metal things on the wall emit heat. 100 years ago, I'd have had to chop some wood, stoke a fire, put the jumper on for a couple of hours until the house warmed up, right? Thankful for that. Um, I have a car. I don't have to get a donkey to church or walk. Okay, I'm thankful for that. Um, a few years ago, people used to write to each other using a pen. <laughs> Do you remember that? Have you ever tried writing a whole letter on a piece of paper with a pen? It's like your, your arm aches. You know, it's like anyone younger than 20 has like never done that. We have this thing called email, which was meant to make us a paper-free culture. <laughs> How many times do you print out the email and put it in a folder? I mean, what the heck, right? Dishwashers. I mean, we have a dishwasher, um, and it broke down on Christmas Eve a few years ago. It was like a disaster. You know, like I was like, oh, "What are we going to do?" And it's like, "Oh yes, we have children." <laughs> you know, um. <clears throat> washing machines. These are all time-saving devices that we are really dependent on and we're thankful for, right? And of course, then you have these things. Now, despite all of this, we all feel like we have less time. Not more. So the question is, where's it gone? (laughs) And the answer is, we've spent it on other stuff. We've filled the lives we have with more stuff because these things save us time, but it's the wrong stuff. And so actually, we're more stressed than ever. Interestingly, in the 1960s, Experts in this country and America did a joint research project to try to predict the effect of technology on leisure. And their prediction was that by 1985, on average, we would work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. Glory! And their, their concern was, what will people do with all their leisure time, their boredom? Will we have rioting? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, what the heck? The reality is that since 1973, our leisure time in this country has dropped by 30%. In that same time period, we saw the death of the Sabbath, culturally, Sunday trading. Everything now is open all the time. All the boundaries that we used to have set by natural time, over 800 years, just corroded away to the point now where there aren't any, unless we put them in. And here in the challenge for you and for me. The second thing that happened is that the internet happened. Okay, no one intended the internet to be quite what it is. It's a marvelous thing in extraordinary ways, but it's also really deeply problematic there are now no limits anywhere because we don't just have a real world we have a virtual world we don't just live locally or nationally we live globally so you can order things on ebay that are made in china and will be here next week it's extraordinary isn't it wonderful Uh, i've got friends who literally work for a company based on the other side of the world So they wake up in the morning and there's work sent in from their boss. They do their work all day, they send it back, their boss wakes up, goes in goes, oh, thank you, sends some more back. It's extraordinary, it's amazing. But, but it means that we just blur all the boundaries all the time. What do you do at the end of Christmas Day? Everyone's fed, everyone's opened their presents, everyone's slightly uh, a bit exhausted by the whole thing. Uh, Most people traditionally would do one of two things, fall asleep or watch the Christmas movie, Right? I don't know what you do, maybe go for a walk. The research this year says 44% of people on Christmas Day afternoon, what do you think they did? Shopping, internet shopping. I mean, how tragic. The sales on Amazon start at three o'clock on Christmas Day. Boom, you got your voucher from grandma, you've spent it by dinner. And in 2007, as we talked about last week, the iPhone was gifted to the world 10 years ago. 10 years ago, that's all. And now we all carry infinity around in our back pockets. And we don't think about it. We don't think about how it's changing us, how it's affecting us, the implications for us. We need to. I think it's literally changed how we experience what it is to be human. One device in 10 years, massively shaping us. There are huge benefits. Of course, I'm not a Luddite. I love technology, but I'm really concerned about the costs. I think they outweigh the benefits at the moment. Unless we take control of these things, they take control of us. Rather than helping us make better use of our time, unchecked, our smartphone and internet use means we're actually losing time. It's at the expense of life-giving and meaningful things. A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches their screen 2,617 times a day, over 76 sessions, for two and a half hours. Same study looked at young adults and said it's actually five hours a day that they're on their phones, on average. Okay, And most people surveyed, when they were asked this, they had no idea how long they spend on their phone, because they're not measuring that. Our smartphone is actually making us dumb and it's stealing precious time from us. Psychologists will talk about um, a compulsion and then an addiction. A compulsion is something you feel compelled to do something, and addiction is when you can't not do that. Here's a definition. The relentless pull, pull to a substance or activity that becomes so compulsive it ultimately interferes with everyday life. By that definition, I would suggest to you, we are all addicts. To some degree or another, the phone has become a prison to us. I've got some stats here from a report that came out recently. Uh, 69% of UK children say their parents spend too much time on their mobile device at home. 69%. UK adults now spend 25 hours a week online, on average, up from nine hours a week in 2005. 34% of people have checked Facebook in the last 10 minutes. 80% of smartphone users say checking their phone is the first thing they do in the morning. Guilty? Almost half of 18 to 34-year-olds in this country, this is last year, said their social media feeds make them feel unattractive. In 2017, Instagram was rated as the worst social media platform for its impact on the mental health of young people. There is a strong link between heavy internet use and depression, with heavy internet users five times more likely to suffer from depression than non-heavy internet users. Teens deemed addicted to their smartphones recorded significantly higher scores in depression, anxiety, impulsive behaviour and insomnia, two more. 60% of people say a traditional holiday does not relieve their stress, with most people admitting to checking emails and taking phone calls while away, sometimes multiple times a day. I mean, why would you do that? Um, 26% of adults have sent text or instant messages to friends or family while in the same room. (laughs) One more, because this is important. 21% of UK children feel their parents don't listen to them properly because they're constantly checking their phone. If you don't think you're addicted to your smartphone, I challenge you to prove it. Give it to me today. (laughs) (laughs) And you can come back on Tuesday morning to the office and I'll give it to you. But if if by then you're not like a nervous wreck, feeling like you've lost an arm, then I'll I'll disagree, I'll I'll agree to disagree. Interestingly, France this year, I don't know whether you saw this on the news last week, France has decided that no mobile phones in schools from September 2018. Kids will have to check it in at the door, get it at the end. Why? They've done the research. It's basically affecting everything. Education, um, social dynamics, mental health issues. They've just realized it's the smartphone. It's not happening. Parents, if you've got teenagers, you need to be engaging with them on how they set their use their phone. And if you pay the bill, then it's your phone, not theirs. So you can set the terms of engagement. Okay, conversation for another time. The effect of all of this is where is where I'm going with this, is that there is something fundamentally wrong with our society. And as the people of God called to live differently in it to show them a better way. Uh, we need to be at the forefront of living differently with it. We can't escape this world, and nor should we conform to it. So as always, the question is, how do we embrace a better way? Psychologists and mental health professionals are now talking about something called hurry sickness. Here's a definition. A behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. It's continually rushing, never stopping, always on to the next thing. Just anxious, low-level anxiety. Most people I meet, they have this. I have this. Most of us have this. It's killing us. And it's a big deal because actually what's happening is that we're violating the very fundamentals of creation itself and what it is to be human, placed to live well within it. I love what Eugene Peterson says. I don't know whether the slides are in the right order. Hurry is a form of violence practiced on time. Hurry is a form of violence practiced on time. Ruth Haley Barton, who's written an amazing book on solitude and silence, and we recommended it to the small groups last week, she says this, here are 10 signs of hurry sickness, okay? Irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, which she says is when we actually try to rest, we can't calm down, compulsive overworking, emotional numbness, when we just can't feel, Uh, Escapist behaviors, that's like drinking too much, pornography, blah, blah, blah. Disconnected from our identity and calling, not able to attend to human needs, the people around you, hoarding energy, and slippage in our spiritual practice. Da, da, da! We're in this together. We need to understand what's happened to us and what we can do about it. So the problem is time. The solution isn't more time, right? We know labor-saving devices, etc. cetera, they, that doesn't answer the problem. How many times have you said, oh, just, if, if only there were 10 more hours in this week? Hello? This is me, I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be great if it was an eight-day week, it'd be awesome. It's not the answer. We know that if you have more time, you'll just fill it with other stuff. The solution is slowing down and simplifying our life around the essentials of apprenticeship to Jesus. That's the solution. It's to radically change our entire approach to the 168 hours you get every week. To take control of your diary and to decide how you're going to use that time and to make sure you use it for the right reasons, in the right order, in the right way, week in, week out. Hence, practicing the way of jesus you know if you read this story from the beginning to the end the narrative the arc of our story is that we are created by god to be uh, made in his image we are divine rulers we are important in this creative order but if you read it carefully we're also mortal we're finite that immortality is conditional on right relationship with god so we're created to rule but we're finite We're, we're not god and we have to live in this tension of the two I think apprenticeship to Jesus is about learning to live into our potential and within our limitations. Our culture only talks about the first of those. You're amazing, you can do it, be the best you, you're worth it, go snowflake, YOLO! Which means you only live once, by the way, in case you've not heard of that. We have FOMO, fear of missing out, YOLO, we don't talk in our culture about the fact that we have finite limits and we just keep trying to put more and more and more in. There are more opportunities, more experiences, more magazines about the next restaurant, more opportunities to go to this, that and the other. And we just try to cram it all in and then we get these feeds on our phones that just show us what all our friends are doing. And we're like, ah, I've got to do that too. Ah, It's nuts. Thoreau, the great philosopher, talked about the importance of living deliberately. I love that. Live deliberately. So, what's the solution? The good news is, A, there is one, and B, I'm nearly finished. So, uh, on that note, Rich is going to read just a few verses from Matthew chapter 11. So grab your Bibles, open it, have a look. It's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, on page 987, if you're following in the church Bibles. So, Matthew 11, from verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thank you. So this is an invitation from Jesus. Rachel had that sense, didn't she, this morning? We're being invited again this morning by God to receive from Him. This is an invitation to the tired, to the stressed, to the burned out, to the anxious, to those with hurry sickness and digital addiction, to everybody in our culture and everybody in this room of which we all live with at least a low-grade version of some of that. And it's, as I said earlier, an invitation to the unhurried life. What Jesus is saying here, if we understand it, has the potential to change our life. Now, my slides are out of order, but I'm hoping Paul will find a quote by Dallas Willard. And he says this, In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that, in following Jesus, that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, notice this, while living the rest of our lives just as everybody else around us does. It is a strategy bound to fail. That's the truth, that's the challenge here. It's simple, it's profound. We talked the other week about the simple idea that if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. The way of Jesus is that, it's a way, it's a way of life. It's not just a set of ideas, what we call theology, it's not just a set of like moral rules for how to govern our behavior, that's ethics, although those two are important, it's a lifestyle. The church in the West is very good on theology and ethics. I mean, it fights about that, but it's very good at it. We're very poor on lifestyle. But this is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. So again, Paul, if you can find this quote, that would be great. Um, a, A theologian, Frederick Dale Bruner, writes this. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. He goes on to say, realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that the obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop us in a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Our culture tries to escape the burdens of life. It lives for Friday. It gets drunk to escape. We we find ways to try to displace the pain and suffering and cost and burden. But you can't. And so you have to find a way to carry it through life. And this is the easy yoke of Jesus. And that's what you and I are called to do, okay? So there's a weight to life. Have you noticed that? And have you noticed that the older you get, the more it kind of increases? You know, I was chatting to someone the other day, he's like in their 20s, and they were just like going, man, I can't do this. I'm so maxed out. I've got so many responsibilities, so much busyness. And I was like, mate, you've not even, you've got no idea. Like, have you got a job yet? No. Oh, man. You know, and you have kids if you have kids, and you've got work, and you've got parents. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And so it's no surprise to me that the older we get, the harder it is to follow Jesus, and the more people just give up. And they might be in the room, but they're not on the journey because they haven't learned the easy yoke of Jesus. So pay close attention to the imagery here. The yoke was a device used most of the time to tie two oxen or donkeys together in order to carry a load, maybe pull a cart or drag a plow or or something. So so I've got one here, sort of. This is a bit of wood. Um, Where's Owen? (coughs) Come on out, buddy. Right, you can be Jesus for a minute, because I know you were disappointed earlier. So come on out. Um, And what Jesus is basically saying is this. So if you can turn and face everybody and, and, and just have that maybe with your other hand. Hold it there, up there. That's it. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is, come to me and come and tuck in alongside me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me how to live. In the message paraphrase it talks about learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. This idea that actually on my own what I do is I try to follow him but I go in my own pace frenetic da, da 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 da. But actually to take up the yoke of Jesus means to actually choose to put myself under his authority, to live in sync with him. And so he sets the pace. I don't set the pace. So let's walk Jesus. And actually I fall in line with him and I learn a rhythm to life, a way of living that's in sync with his spirit, in sync with how Jesus wants us to live, who is in sync with the Father, who is in sync with creation. Does that make sense? It's really simple, but really hard, because as we know, there are so many reasons that we stop doing this. Thanks, Jesus. Very good. Well done. Um, It's his crowning moment so far. Okay, and um, I'm joking. So um, We complicate it. It's dead easy. Just like, do you want to rest? Come and tuck in alongside me. I'm not going to just literally put you to sleep for five years. I'm going to teach you a different way to go through life, a different way to carry it. Because my yoke, yes, it is a burden, but it's a godly burden. It's one you can carry because I'm carrying it with you. He does all the heavy lifting. He says, follow me. Let's do it together. And if you do this, you can do it. But it's when we get out of sync with him. It's when we slip out from underneath his yoke that we find ourselves in trouble. And practicing the way of Jesus, what we've been talking about, is learning to do just that. So every time we practice Sabbath, every time we make time for silence and solitude, we're we're teaching ourselves, learning again how to just live under his yoke. It's really simple, but really hard. It's contested and opposed, there's obstacles to it. There's just one problem. You can't do it unless you slow down. Because his pace is not our pace. The hardest way to follow Jesus is to live like all the other people around us. Not changing our schedules, our our use of time, our money. It's just impossible. And then to try and add Jesus in the top, on top of that and church, everything its just going to kill us. So we don't and things slip. And we stop fully engaging in church and we stop fully engaging in anything and we're just trying to do a bit of everything and we're spread so thin and we're stressed and anxious and frustrated and disappointed. We've got to do a fundamental review of our time and our money and our schedule and how we use it so that we can take up the easy yoke and build from there. Live within the limitations that we experience. Find a pace to life that means actually we're able to wake up properly to the full possibilities of it. To be fully present to people in the moment. To actually use our gifts and talents in a way that bear fruit. And not to live this low-level stress, anxious, distracted life that we are trying desperately hard to live, but ultimately will kill us. There's so much I could say about how. But what we're going to do actually is invite you to attend, come along to like a little workshoppy thing where we're going to unpack all of this in a bit more detail. Um, today I want to provoke you. You need to do something about it. We'll help you work out how another time. Um, but just one final thought really, and it's simply this. That actually, whilst that's really hard, it's worth it and the cost of not doing it is greater. So what kind of life do you want? Do you want one in which actually you carry life in such a way that actually you're not permanently exhausted and stressed, and fed up, low-level depression? Or or do you want this frenetic life, always just hoping that when that, uh, uh, and never quite getting there? Guys, there's no shortcut. I wish there was. I wish I could give you the silver bullet. I could write a book and be really rich. And you know, but there isn't. It's practicing the way of Jesus. There's no shortcuts. But the prize which is set before us is Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. When we get there, all the stuff that we're willing to compromise him for will be of no value and we'll regret it. So make a good choice today. Should we stand? Let's just. Um <coughs> excuse me, let's just take a moment to slow down. Yes, it's 12 o'clock. Yes, you need to get your children in a few minutes. Yes, there's lunch. Yes, there's whatever's next in your schedule. And yes, it would have been great if there'd been more time for this, I'm sorry. But, just for a few moments, I want to challenge you, encourage you, just to try and slow down your brain Try and slow down your heart and just pay attention to Jesus who by his spirit comes back for us. Invites us to take up his yoke. Lord, by your spirit just come now and give us rest. Teach us to tuck in alongside you and come under your yoke and let you do the heavy lifting. We hear your words again. Do not worry about tomorrow. For today has enough of its own. Teach us. The unforced rhythms of grace. Challenge us where we need challenging about our use of time and technology. and put fresh resolve in us where we have found ourselves weary disheartened by life and by following you. Forgive us for the arrogance of thinking we can live like everybody else and add you in. Give us a fresh humility to start again. Holy Spirit I was praying for us this morning and I was just reminded of the the Mary and Martha story and Jesus says to Martha, Martha you're worried and anxious about many things you're worried and anxious about many things And it's not that what she was doing was not of value and worth. It was just that in that moment, it was the wrong thing. It was the wrong order of priority. Some of us were anxious and worried about many things. And he says to you, come. I want to give you rest. I want to teach you a new way to carry life. I'm not going to just take this off you but I'm going to teach you a better way to carry it. Let me do the heavy lifting but I can't if you don't tuck in alongside me and practice the way of Jesus. Some of you that's like absolutely where you're at right now to the point where you're like oh my goodness I can't keep doing it actually I'm exhausted. If that's you I'd love you if you'd like so just find some space in the middle aisle or come up to the front so we can pray for you. we am going to ask the Spirit to come and lift you and hold you. So if you're on the ministry team, if you could come out and be ready to pray with people, that would be great. Rich is going to come and play quietly. If that's you, just come. If you've got hurry sickness or digital addiction... If life's just not working, and you want to change, come on out. If you've got children, please go and get them, or send someone else.